Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My name is Mark Chaffee, and this is Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church. Now, typically I sit down with my good friend and pastor, Dave Gadini and ask him a handful of questions submitted by listeners, uh, but we're going to do something a little bit different today. We had an anonymous question come in from Georgia, and it's a, a very serious question that uh, I thought deserved a little bit more time, and I knew Dave had personal experience with it. Um, it's actually also something I've personally wrestled with my, myself over the years, and the topic is suicide. You know, there's there's been a lot of high-profile suicides recently, and I think it's on kind of the collective consciousness, and the statistics are actually absolutely staggering when it comes to how many of us have actually been personally affected by it in one way or another. I think I, I read a statistic that over the last 20 years, suicide rates in the U.S. have increased by something over 25%. So it's not surprising that it's come in into our own homes or, or into our communities or into our lives in general. Um, so a few weeks ago, after recording a you know quote-unquote normal episode, I mentioned this particular question to Dave and asked if he'd be okay with sharing a bit of his story and then, you know, also giving us um, his pastoral perspective on this topic. So my encouragement to you guys is to continue listening to this podcast, whether, whether or not you've been personally touched by suicide, either in your own struggles or, you know, the struggles and or actions of someone who may be close to you. Because even if it's not, it's highly likely that someone you know has been affected by this in some way. So what follows here is simply an open and honest discussion between Dave and I on facing suicide. Thanks for listening. So Dave, the question comes in, what does God think of those who have committed suicide? This is a question that so many people carry and suffer with silently. I've had the opportunity to just walk alongside, I, I can't even tell you how many people over the past 20 years of ministry who have attempted suicide, who have contemplated suicide and family members in the aftermath of suicide. Mm -hmm. uh, to our listeners on this podcast today, this is, this is a, a topic that speaks particularly close to my heart. My own father committed suicide. Uh, it was about five years ago now. It was April of... 2013. And so, so it's not just something that I, I've had to wrestle through and ministering to others. It's something that my own family and, 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 and I have had to process mm -hmm. ourselves. And uh, I want to start by just thanking the listeners for tuning into this one and thanking whoever texted this question in from, from Georgia for being willing to put themselves out there. You know, we're up here in the northwest side of uh, Chicago, northwest suburbs of Chicago, and, uh, you know, we, we get these anonymously. I, I don't know who texted in this question or the context that might be surrounding it. So, so as Mark said, we're going to spend a little bit more time just delving into aspects of this. And I want to start here. For a lot of people, this question is theoretical. But for a lot more people, this question is coming out of a deep place of shame or fear 
or worry from people who are contemplating suicide, mm-hmm. from people who are trying to recover from someone who has attempted in their own life or has succeeded um, yeah. in, in their own life, and just wondering how to make sense of this and fearing that not only do they have to live with the horror of what was done, but now do they have to live with an additional horror that the God who is supposed to bring hope is now bringing nothing but but judgment. And, and it's not just the loss of life, but it's the loss of soul and eternity mm-hmm. as well. And it, and it becomes so, so heavy and so, so just laden with so much anxiety because of that. You know, I want to start by saying this. If this question is more than theoretical for you and you are contemplating suicide, talk to someone. Don't do it. Talk to someone. Have the guts as you reached out in this text line to reach out to someone that you know and you trust to a suicide hotline. You can find that on Google easy enough for your area uh, or 911 for that matter, um, if, if all else fails. Mm-hmm. And talk to someone first because it, it is final. Um, there, There's no going back once you do it. And so please, I just beg you that your, your life is valuable and you are worth something. And there is no such thing as hopeless or helpless in God's vocabulary. So whatever you're facing right now, if that is what's motivating this, please reach out and get help. All right. Yeah. So that being said, what I'd like to do is just unpack some of the theology of this, but some of the personal struggle with this too, and the questions that my family faced as we really kind of hone in. Now, to the question specifically, I want to start there. And Mark, can you rephrase it for us here today? Sure. What does God think of those who have committed suicide? What does God think of those who committed suicide? Uh, is that how it was worded? Who committed yeah. suicide is a past tense. What does it God is. think of those who committed suicide? God loves those who committed suicide. Um, man, how do I stress this strongly enough? There is this idea out there that suicide is an unforgivable sin. That somehow all sins are in the purview of God's grace, but this one is not. This is the one that's out of bounds. Let me just kind of unpack how the logic of that developed. The reason the idea that suicide is an unforgivable sin is not because of the heinousness or horrificness of suicide, which, which of course it is, mm-hmm. um, but, but it's the idea that people mistakenly buy into that in order to be forgiven, they first have to repent. And if that is true, if I kill myself... I am unable to repent. Right. The logic then being, I am therefore excluded from the kingdom of God or outside of God's forgiveness and grace with, without any chance of ever coming back in. And where did that thinking arise? Well, I, I think that the thinking arises uh, from just the popular way we talk about and practice the Christian faith. Most mm-hmm. Christian churches will practice in some form or another, some or, or emphasize in some form or another, the idea of confessing our sins. Many, right. many churches do this in a very formal fashion on Sunday, in a very mm-hmm. liturgical way. Right. And in sacramental traditions, especially, especially the Roman Catholic tradition, there'll even be a weight that the priest needs to absolve you 
of your sin. Mm-hmm. But even in, 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 in the freest of evangelical or non-denominational situations, there's still this incredible emphasis put on the fact that we need to turn to God, confess our sins to him. And, and, and biblical language would even seem to support this. Repent and believe every one of you for the forgiveness right. of your sins. Repent and be baptized. We see repentance is, is the common message that Jesus, uh, common message that Jesus proclaims. Mm-hmm. And that goes through the apostles and so forth. Yeah. But, but it often gets reduced to the idea that we have to itemize our sins before God, list them in a prayer of repentance in order for them to be forgiven or, or to a priest for that matter, depending on your theological sure. tradition. And, and I just want to encourage the listeners today that this is a, a, a distortion of how God's forgiveness works. God's forgiveness is not repentance dependent, at least not in the way that I just went about defining it. God forgives because God is full of grace. We are saved by grace through faith as Paul will put in his famous letter to the Ephesians. Mm -hmm. And I want to challenge the listeners on the logic of the repentance-based mode of thinking about God's forgiveness. Do you really want to go there? Hmm. Because I am all too aware that I am sinning virtually every moment of the day. I know that by nature, I am a sinner. And therefore, sin weaves its way into all of my motives, all of my actions, my thoughts, my speech. It's it's an ever-present reality in all of my life. Therefore, everything that I do at some degree is tainted by sin. Now, if my forgiveness is dependent upon me repenting of all of those ways that sin manifests... Well, I, I have to walk around 24-7 going, God, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. Right. There's no Jesus, way you forgive can me. know. Jesus, forgive me. Yeah. The amount of sins that go unconfessed that, that any human being dies with right. at, at any point of the day is, 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 is incredible mm-hmm. in scope. How many are we simply just even unaware of? Right. And, and so and to some... make forgiveness repentance dependent is is to lead us astray and turn God's forgiveness almost into a work of ours mm-hmm. rather than a gift he freely gives. And the church has actually tried doing that too, right? I mean, you'll see certain traditions, especially go way back in, uh, you know, like the Catholic church and such where folks will go to mass two, three, four times a day um, to repent of their sins, almost like it needed to be this continual thing. Not that the practice is wrong, but um the other thing too is oftentimes wasn't there is it was also tied to um, the Eucharist actually taking communion. I, I think I've heard that too, where it's like, yeah, repent, but you also need to take the communion in order to, I don't know, have it be effective or something. I don't know. Well, 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 certainly in liturgical traditions, the the practice of confessing your sins before coming to the Eucharist is is, is ever present together. for all kinds of logical right. reasons. Uh, but in the Catholic tradition, is as you were uh, alluding to earlier, the absolution of a priest, the, the the pronouncement of forgiveness from one in the apostolic line was needed, who have been given authority to forgive sins right. here on earth, is as the logic goes, right. was needed in order to be forgiven of what would be called a mortal sin, of mm-hmm. which murder suicide is self-murder right, is one. Right. I want to encourage our listeners to think differently about this question. Okay. How does God think about those who have committed suicide? Mm-hmm. God is deeply grieved that they've committed suicide. Yeah. God might be even angry 
that they've committed suicide, just like I believe many of our listeners might be angry Mm -hmm. at someone that they love so deeply who chose to take their own life as well. But that grief and that anger on God's part does not preclude his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans that where sin increases, grace increases all the more. The idea being that there is no sin so big that it is outside of God's ability to forgive. And in fact, the greater the sin, as the logic goes, the more grace you get. Because God has to pour more on you <laughs> to, to, in a sense, if you want to think about it so on these terms. So should I go on sinning? So that grace may increase? Yeah. Well, you, you know Paul's answer to that. By yeah, no means, right. it misses the point. Yeah. But nonetheless, does still illustrate just how deep, how wide, how long, how, you know, Ephesians 3 puts in this right. masterful benediction, <laughs> God's love is... For those in Christ, you know, yeah. and so when we think of those who have gone on, the question is, well, let me make it personal. Is my dad in hell because he killed himself? Hmm. And the only way that I have learned to answer this is I've had the opportunity to speak to so many people and so many groups about this is hell. No, hmm. hell. No. Yeah. Suicide is not the unforgivable sin. None of this is to intimate, um, a sense of universalism. Mm -hmm. I think the Bible is clear that there are those who will be saved and those who will be damned, to use the traditional language, those who will be ushered into the kingdom of heaven and those who will be excluded, to use the parable of Jesus, um, you know, the parable of the feasts and things that he would speak of of that nature. And that, that, that some, and I would put it this way, choose to remain separate from God for an eternity. Yeah. Rather than come into his grace. So this is not to say that, 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 all sin is just just automatically carte blanche um you know yeah you know uh, treated and, and dismissed um no jesus paid the price for those sins deeply and 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 his gift is is bestowed on all who call on his name but the calling out of his name does not have to take place after every committance if that's a word right committing and, and we're not a even, sin we're not even able to do that i mean how often just by my very existence, am I sinning by my very nature? And, and I'm unaware of it. My thoughts, my words, my deeds, it happens, you know, and there's no way I could possibly repent for all of them, thankfully, you know? Right, right. And, and, and even if we, we approach it in general ways of going, God, I know that I've sinned against you in so many ways by what I've done, by what I've left undone, things that I don't even realize, God, please forgive me. I right. mean, there's there's a healthy practice mm-hmm. in that but it isn't because of those words that we we ping pong back and forth between heaven and hell darkness and life salvation mm-hmm. and damnation okay. no we, if you're in christ you're in christ and in christ we do sin and sin is damaging and and i believe that we can fall away from faith i believe that we can sever that connection that's a debate of its own right for another time yeah. but all of this is simply to say If you are in Christ, you are covered by his blood, you are in his grace, even a sin like suicide, murder, let's call it what it is, is forgiven by a gracious God. I don't know if you feel, you know, comfortable with, with going here. For some reason, I just have this deep gut level feeling about this question, um, and, it's great to see here the the theological and and hear you know the biblical perspective on this and and the the Christian understanding, um, but 
if this person is, is facing this because someone in their life has uh, potentially um, killed themselves, um, as you mentioned earlier, man, that's tough. And you, you yeah. know what it's like. Um, do you mind sharing a little bit? How did, how did you process? What was, what was going on in your mind and in your heart and in your soul? And um, how did you wrestle with this? Sure, sure. And maybe a little context, if, if you permit me a little time yeah. to even just All the time tell in the, world, the story. Man. So, so my dad committed suicide about five years ago. Again, it was back in April of 2013. Now, uh, a couple of things you need to know about my dad. Um, the last couple years of his life turned hard. He had what he thought was a stroke. It it ended up not being a stroke, but actually some inner ear issues uh, that that, that gave him a constant sense of vertigo. And it wouldn't go away and even progress to the point where he he couldn't function, at least not in the way he wanted to. Mm -hmm. He felt unsteady. He felt disoriented. He couldn't read. He couldn't watch TV. He couldn't, as he put it, I, you know, I can't, I can't go to the store. I can't drive. I can't do business. I can't. And he felt feeble and helpless and it robbed him of his identity. Yeah. Um, it, it hit a point and, and Mark, I know you've had your own struggles with sleep issues, mm-hmm. but it, it started to rob him of sleep. Yeah. And, and to the point he couldn't sleep at all. And you need to know something about my dad's psyche. My dad prided himself on his independence. His greatest fear was becoming old and feeble and finding himself in a nursing home. In his words, out of his mind and drooling and and mm-hmm. you know you know not in control of his faculties and and, and being having to be fed baby food, you know things like had to depend this. on others. And, and through the course of his life, I remember times my dad would even laughingly mock people like that. And it was never a, a, a pointed mock at someone as an individual, but 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 a class of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it always struck me as as cruel. To be honest and harsh, I mean, people at their worst, and he's laughing. But really, what it was for my dad, I believe, was a mask for his own fear of ending up that way. Now, you mm-hmm. need to know this about my dad. He uh, he worshipped Jack Kevorkian. Mm-hmm. He thought it, this is his words, not mine. We we talked many times about this. He he thought Jack Kevorkian should be sainted because why shouldn't a person have the autonomy to free themselves and not burden their family and a thousand of other things that we can put on the table here and and, and have uh, determination over their own destiny. And Jack Kevorkian, and will. for our listeners, was the doctor out of was he Michigan, I think, who. Uh, he would assist suicide. patients with suicide. Right. And it was yeah. very controversial at the, at the time. Yeah. Well, still yeah. is, but... Yeah. Right. So so you got to understand that these, these were ideas already embedded in my dad's psyche so that when he started to face this in a very real way, his entire worldview and way of thinking had already started to poise him for this possible solution. Mm-hmm. And as a lot of our listeners know... When people endure chronic physical pain, it is often accompanied by a lot of psychological pain. Mm-hmm. And my dad was one who thought that um, psychologists and counselors and that stuff was for was for the weak. Yeah. And and the irony of this is is that my dad couldn't confront his own weakness mm-hmm. in this and, and and humble himself, so to speak, to seek treatment. Yeah. In these kinds of ways that I think ultimately would have spared his life and given him a quality of life. Yeah. Uh, nonetheless, 
a couple of fateful moments that happened with my dad. The first was about nine months before the day he actually um, took his own life. And this was after a particularly bad season or bad run of days that he had. And the sleeplessness started to compound. And, and anyone who knows mm-hmm. how modern day interrogation works, I mean, yeah. depriving people of sleep is a way to break them oh, uh, yeah. psychologically. And my dad gets on the phone with his doctor and basically you got to know my dad. I'll just kind of, I'll, I'll censor this a little bit for the sake of our podcast here today. I know I don't have, don't to, have but, to, but depending on who's listening and yeah. it's just doctor, if you don't get me some help right now, I'm going to blow my JD head off. Well, in this day and age, doctors don't fool around with that kind no, of thing. No, they don't. And uh, the nurse wisely and politely said, oh, okay, Mr. Gadini, well, we'll, we'll just stay on the line and let me see what we, we can do and put him on hold and promptly called 911. And within 10 minutes, there was a SWAT team around my dad's wow. house because, of course, he, of course, he's threatening a gun crime yeah. on himself. Sure. And uh, my brother was living at home at the time and tells me, he's, you know, and he was just recently out of college and he's coming down from upstairs like nothing but a towel came out of the shower, didn't know any of this was oh, going man. on downstairs. <laughs> and there's five cops with AR 15s and flak jackets wow. sitting in the living room. Uh, but That's you unsettling. Know, what it allowed me to do and what it opened the door towards was being able to go over to my dad's place that day and having a very brutal frank open discussion that went on for about nine hours that day that was in part letting my dad tell his story and hearing him and and, and getting him out of his shell Mm -hmm. and and walking through all of these things in very open blunt honest ways that we we did not have the opportunity to have at least for that length of time right or or, or it's that degree or in that that poignant of a way until then um also quite honestly in an attempt to try to find where he hid the guns in his house um, and get him out yeah, of there. And yeah. let me tell you what a what a task that was. I bring this story up because it was a shot across the bow mm-hmm. to us, and it was it was your wife actually, Mark. Mm-hmm. It was Julie. And, and those of you who don't know, Mark's wife Julie is a psychotherapist, uh, a, psychotherapist a, a social worker, um, has her own counseling practice. And I was chatting with her yeah. on Sunday, and you know, and she said something to me, and it wasn't something I didn't know, but something you need to hear something I needed to hear again. And it was good to be reminded of it. And she basically said, you need to prepare yourself for this as a possible inevitability because at some level, if someone is committed to this task, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. That doesn't mean we don't fight with everything that's within us oh, to stop them, yep. to dissuade us, to prevent it. But why do I bring this up? Because there are so many people, parents especially, who live under a crushing shame, mm-hmm. who live under a constant state of guilt of the what if. Yeah. What if I only did this? What else could I have done? What What more could I do? And And, and, and of course... The blunt answer to that is there's probably a thousand different things we could have done in retrospect that we know, right? uh, but didn't know at the time. And would it have even been effective? I mean, we don't know. Yeah. I mean, do what's ever in your power to prevent it in a person's life. And if someone you love or know is threatening or talking about it, take it seriously. If you suspect, always address the white elephant in the room. Yes. 
don't leave it just pushed over there as a, this isn't polite or awkward. No, always address it. And maybe you haven't. And in retrospect, you carry shame on that. Well, child of God, bring that to God. Yeah. Bring that to God today because he forgives. You are not perfect. Mm -hmm. You are not infallible. Neither was I as I went through this with my dad. I bring this story, though, up again to circle back to say, at some level, those of us who are left in the aftermath of a loved one who has committed suicide have to release ourselves Mm. of the guilt, the shame, and the responsibility. Yeah. It was my dad's choice to make. I don't agree with it. Right. If I knew it was going to happen, believe me, I would have been there. I would have stopped it at all costs. Yeah. Um, and I can walk through how it all played out if that's, uh, if that's pertinent to the story. But I didn't. We did what we thought we were able to do. Um, and my dad found a way. Well, he found a way. If someone is determined to do it, at some level, we are not the ones who are going to be able to stop that. And and so I want to give that encouragement to our listeners today who might be carrying around that guilt or that shame over thinking they should have done more or that it's their fault someone else has taken their life. Coming from, and thanks for, you know, sharing that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. um, You know, it is, it is so different. Uh, I'm sorry. It is so, so difficult. And, um, you know, emotionally, um, how did you process that? I mean, were you kind of okay with standing with, yeah, you know what? Yeah, it wasn't my fault, that type of thing. I mean, it had to have been, obviously it sucks, you know? <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, sure, and, sure. Because um, I'm imagining, you know, if, if there are folks who are just so just torn up right now and just, as you said, the shame the guilt. Um, what do you do with that? You know what I found, Mark? Suicide by nature carries so much shame with it. And so when it happens in a family, be it successful attempt or simply an attempt yeah. that, that, that didn't find its, yeah. its intended end, many people are afraid to talk about it. Yeah. It becomes the family secret, hmm. the family embarrassment and it's shoved into the dark corners and it isn't dealt with. And so it's carried around internally. And I'm going to tell you right now, I have zero shame, yeah. zero embarrassment over the fact that my dad's committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not saying that to, to pose myself as strong or enlightened or something like that. It's just a reality. I just simply don't. You have a very healthy attitude towards it. And I want to encourage our listeners to the same. Hold your head high, child of God. Yeah. Bring what is in the darkness out into the light. Talk about it. Mm-hmm. Cry about it. Mm-hmm. Laugh about it. And I mean <laughs> yeah. that sincerely. No, that's true. That I is mean true. that sincerely. And process it in all the emotional ways that need to come out with other people. Don't leave it the family secret. It's not healthy. It's not healthy and it doesn't lead. It, 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 it stymies healing. When we kind of open this, um, you know, you did mention, obviously, if uh, if the listener themselves are struggling with this, you know, get the help type of thing, which is obviously absolutely, you know, imperative and it's, and it's super important. But the question, what does God think of those who have committed suicide? You know, I, I, I think it's important to follow up again 
on the other side of this to say, you know, if you are the one who is struggling and Mm -hmm. thinking about this, what the question is, is what does God think about me? Yeah. And I'm about to kill myself. Yeah. I want you to hear this loud and clear. God loves you. God loves you in ways that you can never measure. God loves you in ways that you cannot imagine. God loves you in a way that is so much broader and more infinite than you can even wrap your minds around. You are not alone. Mm -hmm. God is with you. God loves you and God is with you. There's a passage that has always been so just mm, personal to me that I think speaks into the situation. Jesus says this, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You need to know that while we can talk about the effects of depression and all the the chemical reasons, the psychological reasons, the environmental reasons that may have led you as the listener to this place of of thinking about suicide, there's something still more transcendent or or dare I say lower common denominator than Mm -hmm. this. There is an evil one who is intent on destroying you, who, who wants to see you and in darkness and death, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. God comes to give you life. God wants to give you joy, life, hope. I want to reiterate this again. With God, no matter how hopeless or helpless it might seem, there is no such thing as hopelessness or helplessness in God's vocabulary. How does, how does the Gospel of John put it? It's so powerful. Um, talking about Jesus the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. That gets really hard to believe when you're in the darkness. But what Jesus invites you to do is to dare to believe it. That no matter how dark or futile it might look, the darkness is not stronger than the light. And so, listener, get help. Reach out. And, And here's something that I want you to promise yourself to do. That if ever you think about taking your own life, find someone that you trust. A pastor works good for this. A counselor works good for this. A doctor may have to work for this. Mm -hmm. It might be a parent or a sibling or a close friend or a spouse. Someone that you trust who is going to tell you the truth, speak honesty into your life, but is always going to do it from a place of, 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 of goodness and love towards your intent. And someone with maturity and spiritual wisdom and maturity and well, we've got to kind of couch this correctly. Right. Um, to make a promise to yourself that before you ever attempt to take your own life, you will talk to that person first. And I don't mean I talk to him now because right. I'm considering it six months from now. No, I mean every time I'm considering it, I will talk to that person. I pick up that first. phone, let them know. You got it. You got it. Um, you know, I think a, a lot of reasons, you know, why this, this question hits so strongly for me is, you know, part of my story. I, I've, you know, Dave, I've gone through a lot of darkness, and right, right. a lot of periods. And there have been times um, that I want to tell the listener that regardless of how dark um, it really is, you're not alone. This is not something that other people haven't experienced. And there certainly is a way out. And when you're in that place where you feel like the darkness is so overwhelming that there's no way the light can penetrate it, it's not true. 
you can ask many, many people who have gone through this and come out on the other side and said, thank you, Lord, that I'm still here. May still be struggles, but I get that darkness. It's that, have you ever had that experience where like you be cave exploring and you go down like, you know, feet, miles or whatever underground. And then they do that thing where they turn the lights off and like yeah. they turn their flashlights on and everything. And how dark that is, that absolute dark. It's thick. It's it, oppressive. It, it presses is. in on you. When you're in that moment of darkness in your own life, that type of darkness we just talked about is like blindingly bright compared to what you're experiencing in your soul. So we get it. And I think what's so powerful about what you're sharing, Mark, at least for me personally, is knowing at least some of the darkness that you've faced mm -hmm. personally, that this is not just something that you heard that you're repeating. No. It's something that you lived and experienced personally and can give witness to right here on this mic Yeah, going, I can say this firsthand. I, I do. And, and it's also the yeah. way I can also affirm, um, you know, Dave, when you talked about having some, you were there, I talked to you about a lot of this stuff, you know, and it, it did keep me on straight and narrow to, in, in some respects. And so having that accountability, having someone you can trust, someone you can love. Um, and if you don't, again, you, you call someone, you know, call 911. They're there, they're there to care for you and things of that nature. But it is absolutely vitally important because you do not have to go through this alone. Um, even though you think you may want to, mm -hmm. um, but you really don't have to. Right. And, um, there is a light that can overcome this darkness, whether you're contemplating it for yourself or you feel the oppression of the pain and the sadness because someone in your life has done it. Um, you don't have to live there. It doesn't yeah. last forever. That's yeah. the hardest lesson to learn because I'm, I'm the way I'm controlled by my emotions so <laughs> often that yeah. like, um, I experience an emotion and that's reality for me and it's going to last forever, whether it's, you know, good or bad, <laughs> it doesn't right. really matter, right. but that's the nature of, you know, somebody who's bipolar like me, the highs are high, the lows are the lows, lows are low. and you're just going to be there. You know, yeah. it's like going to last forever. No, it doesn't. I keep telling myself, yeah. no, it's not yeah. going to be there. Forever. I know I'm in a low. I know it's a season. Yeah. It will come out. Yeah. So thanks for sharing your, your story, Dave. And I hope, you know, for uh, the listener who texted in this question, as well as just anyone else listening to this, that if, you know, you really hung through this episode as we chatted through this, um, I don't even know final words to say. You're the pastor. You're great with, with landing the plane. What a, <laughs> I guess just to land the plane on this is maybe we don't land the plane Yeah. Uh, because for a lot of people, the plane hasn't landed. It's still circling around. Yeah. And so to those of you who are living in the aftermath of a loved one who committed suicide, what I've had to learn to do is entrust them to the Lord mm -hmm. to go. If I love them, I know God loves them more. If I'm concerned for their salvation, I know God is concerned more. If I would try to reach to them, I know the power, the ultimate power of the universe called God has done so all the more. And, and so I can sit here today and entrust God to my, uh, entrust my dad to God saying, Lord, there are questions I will never have answered, but I know that you're good and that your mercy endures forever. So here he is. And for those of you, especially who, who've had those loved ones who, you know, 
are in that same place, especially those of you who, whose loved ones have died in the Lord, mm-hmm. even if it was by their own hand. Yeah. To rest deeply in the knowledge of what Christ's grace and death is all about. To those of you, again, you know, who are considering, reach out. Don't wait. Do it today, right now. Call a local church. If, if you can't get through to one, keep calling till you do. Call a counselor, call suicide hotline. And uh, I pray that God's light shines in your darkness so powerfully, so powerfully, and that that your eyes open and you see, because I know how dark it can get. You close in a, just in a prayer, actually. Yeah, let's pray, guys. Let's pray. Those of you who are driving, keep your eyes open right now. But those of you who have a little bit of a quiet place, um, maybe just find a little, a little bit of quietness with God right now. And you can insert your own words as I pray or just let mine wash over you. Lord, I want to thank you for my dad. Because even though we weren't always the closest, even though we would fight and struggle and sometimes go our separate ways. Here's my dad and I love him and I know he loved me. And Lord, at, uh, at some level, I know I've had to say goodbye, but I know that you're good and that with you there's hope and that with you goodbye does not have to be forever. I pray for everyone who is listening today who is so deeply broken over a child or a brother who has taken their life, over a mom or a grandparent or a friend who's killed themselves, or even just someone in the hall at school or in a cubicle at work that they never really know and never would have suspected. Gotta pray that you shine your light into their hearts and around their lives. Help them, God, to open up and to process the taste of your forgiveness and your goodness and your grace. To allow themselves to feel what they're feeling and give those feelings over to you. And to meet them in that place. Lord, I pray for those who right now are thinking about it, who have attempted. Maybe are considering again or maybe considering for the first time that, Lord, you would protect them from themselves, that you would send people into their lives, but above all, you would scream into their souls and their heads, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. That would scream, I've come, that they may have life and have it to the full. Give them life and give it to the full. Help them, God, in their time of darkness and pain. Help them to see there's nothing hopeless or helpless with you. God. God, we need your help. We're crying out to you today. Come to all of us, we pray. Amen. Everyone, I just want to thank you for tuning in to this uh, this particular podcast here today. And uh, 
as always, we hope that it's impacted you. Maybe this one uh, more deeply and more specifically than others and in a certain kind of way. Uh, God be with you. Never doubt his love for you. God bless, guys. We'll catch you next time.